Well, good morning, Kettlebrook. How are you all doing today? Well, okay, good. Well, as that video so aptly kind of teed up, we're beginning a brand new series this morning on the Holy Spirit. And, um, and the title that we're using is Spirit, the Kingdom of God is Near. And so as we begin this, this series, this brings up a burning question that I have for each and every one of you is, how many of you have seen the new Avengers Endgame movie out? Yes, you have. Okay, very good. Yes. Yeah, so anyone brave enough to meet, admit if they've seen it twice already? You know, I know there's a few of you out there. I'll admit I uh, ponied up the 10 bucks or whatever it was to go see the movie with my three boys. When you have three boys, actually, you do with three boys. You go see the Avengers movies and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and you know, it's just amazing to me how uh, the, the whole world seems to have gone nuts over this series. You know, I mean, it's like it's breaking box office records, not only here in the United States, but all over the world as well. And it's like, uh, who'd have thunk? You know, I, I was the nerdy geek in, in middle school who was reading the actual comic books about these guys, these Avengers, you know. And, and you know, I would have never imagined that, you know, half the population would be going to go see movies about the, the heroes that I cherished so much. So it's like, you guys are a bunch of Johnny-come-latelys, you know. It's like, I was into this long before it was cool, you know. Uh, but, but so we're, the whole world seems to be enamored and fascinated with this uh, story and, and everything. The, the question that I always ask in a situation like that is, is why? Why? What is it about movies like this that, that, that pull us towards them and, 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 and want us to be about it? Why are we so enamored and captivated and fascinated by this series? There's, there's probably lots of different answers to that question, but it's a question that drives me because I always think that the why question helps us discover deeper realities about humanity and, and the longings of people's hearts. And the one thing that I've kind of landed on for fantastic movies like this, you know, whether it's Star Wars or whether it's the Lord of the Rings trilogy or, or something like that, is that there's something inside of each one of us that longs to be part of something grand and epic where good is fighting evil, where the forces of light are enmeshed in this cosmic battle with the forces of darkness. We have this inbuilt desire to know that our lives matter and that if somehow we could get swept up in this great epic narrative where the future of humanity is at stake or the fate of the world is actually in question, that that would be a life worth living, a life of, of significance and purpose. The, the, the problem is this, is that after the movie is over, the, the lights come back on. And we go and we get into our cars. And we drive home. And the next day, I don't want anyone getting upset, but we go to work. <laughs> and, and for some of us, work entails staring at a computer screen for, you know, eight Eight hours a day or something like that. And, and this, this, this gnawing feeling inside of us where you can become acutely aware that the life that we're currently living doesn't in any way measure up to the experience that we just had over the weekend in, in, in the movie theater. And we begin to have this kind of gnawing sense of, of, of insignificance and, and that what we're doing doesn't have any real purpose or anything like that. 
And this, this is why when the movie Avatar came out, there is widespread, widespread reports of depression setting in on people because people go away from the movie Avatar and they realize they're not saving some planet from complete destruction or something like that. And they just kind of sunk into this kind of melancholy despair. And this is true whether you're a Christian or a Buddhist or a Muslim or an agnostic or an atheist. We all, we all long to be a part of something, swept up in something that's purposeful and epic, a story of some kind. And we, don't, we're, we become acutely aware that we're not. Which is, which is sad if you're a follower of Jesus, because if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a follower of this most amazing man who ever lived, all right? He is the most inspiring hero that ever walked the planet, and we get to follow him. And as we follow him, he kind of, you know, we kind of get swept up into the epicenter of what God is doing on the earth, the story that he's writing, the lives that he's redeeming as God is literally taking people and rescuing them out of the domain of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. That's how Paul describes it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He says he's rescuing people out of darkness, out of the domain of darkness, and bringing them into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. That's how he describes God's active work in the world. And he says this good news, this gospel that you have embraced is now spreading all over the world. Okay? And so we get to be a part of it. We get the way that he is doing it, the way that God is doing it, the active agent that is, that is initiating this growing movement of the kingdom all over the world is the Spirit of God. Now, we're going to do some theology this morning. Doesn't that sound exciting? Doesn't that fun? Yeah! You know, guys like me, pumped up. We're going to do some theology. So we're going, to, we're going to look at a whole bunch of scriptures this morning. This is not something that we typically do. Uh, on, on a Sunday morning, usually we just kind of land on one you know, passage and, and, and kind of stay there for a while. But because I'm kind of, I want to just kind of set the stage for the entire series that we're doing today, I want to talk about the relationship between the kingdom of God and, and, and the Holy Spirit. And, and the, the big idea, the relationship really is, is that the Holy Spirit is the active agent that initiates the kingdom of God in our dark world. The Holy Spirit is the active agent that initiates the kingdom of God breaking into our dark world and our lives. And we get a chance to choose whether we want to engage in that battle or not. We get a chance to choose to be whether we want to be a part of that battle, that good news breaking in to our dark world. David Bryant, who's an author and pastor, says this. He says, we've been summoned to be a part of a larger narrative, far greater than we could have imagined. A larger purpose, a longer story, a higher calling. We've stepped into something rooted in an ancient history, contending with a more formidable enemy and fulfilling a far more glorious purpose. One that invites all the earth into eternal transformation. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Now, the kingdom of God was Jesus' favorite subject. He talked about the kingdom of God more than he talked about anything else. 
Okay? It was his first sermon. As he arrived on the scene, his first sermon was, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. It's at hand, in my person, in my presence. The kingdom of God is available to anyone who would have it. He said that we should seek first the kingdom, above and beyond anything else. We should seek the, the priorities and the, and the reality of the kingdom. He said that we should pray that God's kingdom would come, and that his will would be done here on earth, just as it's always done in heaven. And then he told stories demonstrating the, uh, the, uh, illustrating and demonstrating the kingdom of heaven. And the definition that I use for the kingdom of heaven is just kind of begs the question, what exactly is the kingdom of heaven? The definition that I use is that the, the, the kingdom of God is anywhere where God's loving rule and reign is actively applied. The kingdom of God is anywhere where God's loving rule and reign is actively applied. Capiche? Right? So the kingdom of God, it's not a place. It's not a realm somewhere off in la-la land. It's a reign. It's a rule. It's when people place themselves under the loving rule and reign of God. There you will find the kingdom. And wherever God's kingdom is, there you find love. There you find joy. There you find peace. There you find reconciliation between warring parties. Husbands and wives begin to love each other as again as they ought to. Parents begin to really just love and cherish their children. People become free from compulsions and addictions that, that used to control them. Whenever we, wherever you see God's kingdom break forth, you see this beautiful thing take place. The question is, is how does that happen? What does it look like? Practically speaking, it sounds kind of ethereal, you know, kind of like, you know, does people just start being nice to one another? I mean, do we kind of you know, is praying for God's kingdom to come just kind of like wishing for peace on earth? Like, oh, I hope we have peace on earth. We know it's never going to happen. But I just want to have peace on earth. You know, is that kingdom of God like that? Well, in order to really understand uh, the kingdom of God, we need to understand the mind of a first century Jewish person. Okay? Now, I'm going to draw a diagram up here, which many of you have seen before. Okay? So you all say, Mike, we've seen this before. Mike, we've seen this before. Okay, that's right. You have seen it before. Okay, but I'm going to show it to you again because all of you should have this memorized. Okay, we should also should have this like the back of your hand. Okay, uh, so the the, the the first century Jews, Jewish people, they um, separated all of time into two grand epochs or eras. Okay, or ages. You had the old age which was the age of sin and unrighteousness and decay and, and death. That was the age that they were currently living in. That was the experience that they had, okay? But, but, Messiah was going to come, and when Messiah came, he was going to usher in an age to come, or the new age, the age to come. And the new age was an age of prosperity, of, of peace, of righteousness, where, where God's loving rule and reign was the dominant ethic of the land, okay? 
And so they, they, they anticipated this happening. So Jesus comes on the scene and he says, the kingdom is at hand. It's here in my person, in my presence. The kingdom is a reality now. And he demonstrates that by healing people, by casting out demons. He demonstrates the authority and the power of uh, the kingdom of God. Okay? And, and so it's here. It's present. The problem is, is that Jesus dies and he, he rises again. But this age continues. Jesus rises from the dead. But people still die. Right? I mean, we've noticed that, right? Ever since Jesus rose from the dead, the mortality rate of the human race is hovering somewhere on 100%. Give or take a few. Right? Okay, so, so, so we're, we're not quite yet out of this old age. And so people are kind of asking the question, you know, what gives? How, how does it happen? And to, to solve that mystery, Jesus tells a parable ahead of time. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, you'll find that on page 691 of your brown Bibles. And so, if you want to understand the kingdom, what it's like, how it works, read Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is just like rapid fire giving story after story after story. The kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. And he tells this story. He says that there is a certain landover, landowner. He had a field and he planted good seed in his field. Okay, he went out planted a bunch of good seed in the field. While he was sleeping, an enemy came, and because he didn't like the dude, he planted weeds in the exact same soil, exact same field. And when the, the plants started producing, started, started sprouting, his workers noticed, and they said, Master, there's weeds in your, in your field. Who did this? And he said, an enemy has done this. And they said, should, should we weed out all the weeds? Should we take out all the weeds? And he says, no, no. If you do that, you'll pull out the good stuff as well. I'll tell you what. Let them both grow all the way till harvest time. And then at harvest time, what we'll do is we'll pull everything up. And we'll gather the weeds and we'll burn them. And we'll gather the harvest and we'll put it in my barns. To which we all say, ah. Oh. Okay, makes sense. Thankfully, we have the disciples, and the disciples go to Jesus, and they say, can you, like, explain that to us? And so Jesus explains it to us, starting in verse 37. He said, the one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. It's Jesus' favorite term for himself. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, okay? There's the end of the age. When this age, this old age, comes to an end. And he says, and the harvesters are the angels. As the, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. I want to say that again. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus is clearly alluding to the fact that in his presence, the kingdom is here. He's announced that. But there's this overlapping of time when weeds and wheat 
grow together, when they live together, when good and evil exist side by side. But there's going to come an end to this old age. When he brings to a conclusion this age, he wraps it up fully and completely. And the new age will be the only age there is. Dominant and complete, without any competition whatsoever. He's going to weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we live in this overlapping of the ages. When the new age is now, but it's not yet completely. It has been inaugurated, but he hasn't been fully consummated. The rescue mission has begun, okay? But it's not fully complete yet. And there's this battle that's raging, it's going on right now, where God's active work is, is seeing his kingdom break out all over the world. He is rescuing people out of the domain of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of his son that he loves. And his active, active agent that he does that through is the Holy Spirit. Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he demonstrates his victory over sin and the devil and now gives his life giving spirit to anyone who will believe in him. And so what I want to do is just kind of go rapid fire through some truths about the Holy Spirit as it brings forth this kingdom and this battle of good versus evil and light versus darkness. And the first one is that the spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this. He says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. Okay, you heard the message. The gospel, good news, of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, when does someone receive the Holy Spirit? When they believe. He says, having believed, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The, the basic definition of a follower of Jesus, of a Christian, is someone who has the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them. They've repented of their sins, they've turned, they've trusted in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit has come inside of them. People say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, listen, you're American, right? Aren't you a Christian? No, no, not everyone's a Christian in America, okay? A true follower of Jesus is someone who has the Holy Spirit, and you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe. And then he says, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption? Our inheritance is going to be when he comes again and his kingdom is full and complete and total. You know, it's the only reality that there is. It's coming. But in the meantime, we have this deposit. We have this down payment. A better metaphor for this would be like an engagement ring. Okay? Dudes, when you got down on your knee to that babe who's sitting next to you, you know, you gave her what? You gave her an engagement ring, right? Okay? Now, that engagement ring, were you married at that point when you gave her an engagement ring? No. No, you're not. An engagement ring is a promise to make a promise. Right? You're not married then. It says, I'm coming for you. I'm coming to you and we're going to get married. And the, the Holy Spirit is the down payment. It's a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Jesus is saying, I'm coming back to you. I'm giving you this, my spirit, as a down payment. As a deposit, it's going to guarantee that I'm coming back for you. He says this again in 2 Corinthians. He says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set a seal of ownership on us. 
and put his spirit in our hearts. Put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. Guaranteeing what is coming. Coming back for you for the redemption of all living things that everyone who has put their faith and trust in. So not only is he a deposit, but he's also a foretaste of what is to come. The, the word that the, uh, the, the, the authors use, the original authors, Paul, says that it's a, the, like the first fruits. Okay? Let's see, Romans 8 up here, he says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right at the present time. Okay? The whole world is still, chaos is unleashed on the world. Okay? We've seen the floods, we've seen the flooding, the earthquakes. Everything is in decay in our world. Okay? If you were to come back here in 100 years, these chairs would look very different than they do today. They're just breaking down. Everything is breaking down. Not only that, but our bodies are breaking down. He says, he says we even groan inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons. Okay? How many of you are groaning these days? I went out for a run yesterday, and I'm groaning today. Okay? If you're not there yet, don't, wait, don't worry. Just wait. You'll get there. Okay? We're all groaning. He says, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirits grown inwardly as we wait for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This term first fruits is something that we're not familiar with because we live in a day and an age where you have syndics and mire and we can get fruit whenever we want, right? But in this day and age, in an agrarian society, fruit was seasonal. Imagine that, okay? So you only had things in a certain season and the first fruits was that first Fruit, the first harvest that you had where you're like, oh, oh, this is so good. Oh, in a little while, in a few weeks, oh, guess what? We're going to have, we're going to have so much of this going to be coming out of our ears, you know? It's like late July when you're driving down Main Street and you see the truck parked on the corner of, you know, right by Badger School there. And you're like, oh, sweet corn, sweet corn. You know, you got to pull in and you're like, sweet corn, sweet corn. And you're like, oh, this is so good. Oh, it's so good. And you're like, you, you know, it's, just, it's the first fruit, but like, you know, in a few weeks, you're going to have so much sweet corn, you're not going to know what to do with it, okay? Or like strawberries, you know? Strawberries in an agrarian society, you don't have strawberries all year long, you have strawberries during the season. And when you first see strawberries, like, oh, strawberries, and you have your very first strawberry of the year, and you're like, oh, oh, this is so good, you know? And you know that in a little while, in a few weeks, you're going to have strawberries coming out of your ears. It's going to be so much. That's what the first fruit is. It's like an appetizer of what is to come. So you're at some big gala event, you know, and you're waiting for dinner to arrive, and some dude is walking around with a tray full of bacon-wrapped water chestnuts. You're like, oh, give me one of those. And you, like, take that and you pop it in your mouth. Like, oh, this is so good. Like, I can't wait to sit down for that meal. That's what the Holy Spirit is. It's like an appetizer. It's a foretaste of what's to come. We live in this broken world, but when the Holy Spirit comes in our life, we know that we're loved. And we experience love and we're like, oh, oh this is so good. I can't, I can't wait until this is like the dominant ethic in the world. You get free, you get free from things like compulsions that beset you. And you're, you, you, you begin to have, you're free from anxieties and you have peace in your heart. And you're like, oh, oh this is. There's coming a time, there's coming a time when there's going to be so much peace. It's going to be coming out of our ears. There's going to be so much joy. We're not going to be able to handle it all. It's going to be so much love. It's going to be the only dominant thing in our, in our reality. And Jesus is saying that 
that between now and then I'm giving you this foretaste of what's to come. And you're like, oh, this is so good. I can't, I can't wait. All of us should, should be waiting for the kingdom of heaven to come in all of its, its fullness. He's a foretaste. Not only is he a deposit guaranteeing what is to come or a foretaste, giving us a, 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 a first fruit of foretaste of what is to come, but the Holy Spirit is the empowering presence of God, giving us the power and the ability and the capacity to tell others appropriately about him. Okay? In Acts chapter 1, you read, the disciples are, are all together after Jesus rose from the dead. And, and, you know, just a few days before, you know, they were like, they're like, Jesus, like, we believe that you're the Messiah. And then he, like, died on the cross. And I'm like, oh, we thought you were the Messiah. And then he raises again from the dead. They're like, oh, yeah, you really are the Messiah. And so, like, they're really, like, freaked out now because, like, Jesus rose from the dead. And they're like, okay, now the kingdom is going to come in all the glory, in all this glory. Because, again, they just saw this happening. You know, one fell swoop in the new age. And so let's see if we can get those Acts verses up here. It says, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, okay? As if they needed it. All right? He says, I'm alive. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And all his resurrection glory. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about what? The kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? He's talking to them about the kingdom, and he says in a few days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's active agent in our world that breaks out, initiates the kingdom of God in our midst. And so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, at this time are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is it all going down? Are you going to put Jerusalem back on top politically, militarily, culturally, spiritually, all those things? And he says, no, not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Okay, that's not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to appropriately tell other people about me. Okay, to, to, to witness about my death and my, and my, my resurrection, to tell others about me. And if you read the rest of the book of Acts, don't read it now because we're going to read it this summer together. Okay? But if you read the, the, the book of Acts, that, that's the story, is that the message of Jesus just begins to explode out on the world. And they tell others and tell others and tell others. And the one who's doing all of that is the Holy Spirit. And as people submit to Jesus, the kingdom begins to come. And that's what Jesus says. He says, I'm giving you my spirit, and the spirit's going to empower you to tell others about me. And he's been doing it ever since. He's doing it up until this day. And you know, he's not going to quit. He's not going to let up until every single nation, tribe, and tongue has had an opportunity to hear about him. Okay? Right up to the present day. I have a friend... Uh, a gal that I was friends with in high school. She was the uh, uh, daughter of the former Bucks coach, Don Nelson. You guys remember Don Nelson? He had a daughter named Katie. Okay? Katie Nelson was a follower of Jesus Christ. So because she believed in Jesus, she had what inside of her? Who inside of her? The Holy Spirit. Okay? She had the Holy Spirit inside. The Holy Spirit empowered Katie to be a witness, to declare to others about Jesus. 
And she declared about Jesus and told others about Jesus. One of the gals was her friend, Becky Rothwell, who was also in my graduating class. She told Becky about Jesus. And Becky received Jesus. She believed in him, and she received what? The Holy Spirit. She received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit empowered Becky to begin to testify and witness about Jesus. Now, Becky married a guy named Dave, and Dave and Becky and Dave and Rebecca are two of our partners, international partners. They lived in Southeast Asia in an undisclosed Muslim country and saw lots of people come to faith in Jesus Christ and receive the Holy Spirit. And when they did, they saw the kingdom come in people's lives. And they've been doing that ever since. And now God has Dave and Rebecca on mission with him in this grand epoch and, and battle raging all over the world right now where light against darkness, good versus evil. And he's taking to some of these places where the kingdom is just coming in crazy sort of ways. They're getting on a plane this week to go to a West African country to train and teach and equip church leaders in a country where in the last decade, 400,000 Muslims have come to Christ. In the last decade. Oh, isn't that, that's, a great, that's a great story being told right there. Okay? And, and they get a chance to be a part of it and speak in it. Some of these churches have started other churches and started other churches and, and duplicated and multiplied all the way down to 25 generations. 25 generations of churches and they're still multiplying. Okay? They get a chance to speak into this and teach people how to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And they're seeing the kingdom come. And the one who's doing it, behind all the scenes, is the Holy Spirit of God. We also are invited into that story. We also are invited into that, to be a part of this great and grand narrative. The, the most grand narrative that's ever been written in the world. The, the, the question is, is, are we going to choose to engage in it? Because this is one very interesting thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as Stuart Briscoe says, is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on anybody. He's not going to force you to do what he says. He's going to wait for you to submit willingly to him. But if we do, look out. We get a chance to be a part of the greatest and grandest story that's ever been written. Better than the Avengers. Better than Star Wars. Better than Lord of the Rings. Because it's real and it's eternal. The question is, is will we choose to engage in it? I don't know about you, but I for one am like, sign me up. I am down for that. I do not want to live a life of insignificance. Not be used. If there's a story like that that's being written, I want to be a part of it. And my prayer for all of us is that we would be a community of people who are like, sign me up. We don't want to miss out on any of that. But we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. We can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, wow, you are up to something grand and powerful 
and epic that beats any story that Hollywood could ever come up with. You are rescuing people from every nation, tongue, and tribe, rescuing them out of the domain of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of your Son, whom you love. And now you invite us to be a part of that and play a little bitty role in that narrative. Lord, all we can say is thank you. And our prayer is that we would humbly submit to the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that as we submit to Him, we would see the kingdom come first in our lives as things like love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness begin to really permeate dominate our lives as we follow You. But also, as the Holy Spirit then empowers us and enables us to bear witness to, appropriately to others around us of who You are, to Your death and resurrection. Lord, we want to be a part of that story. We pray that we would have the humility to step into that so that Jesus might be glorified through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.